Uh, let's start out with Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. Colossians 1, 23. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, and which has preached to every creature, which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Just a brief touch back to the last verse that we talked to uh, some time ago. Uh, the verse before, Colossians 1.22, we have pointed out the fact that our holy, blameless, and irreproachable position before God was totally dependent on the death of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to keep in mind that Paul never salvation of any person Neither did he, neither did Paul go around telling people that they were unconditionally saved if they believed the gospel or if they stood for the truth of the gospel. And if they were indeed saved, then they would continue to hold fast. I want you to keep in mind also that a person is not saved by holding fast. A person is only saved by believing in Jesus Christ. And holding fast is only the result of a mark of the fact that he is truly saved. As Paul is uh, writing this letter to the Colossians, Paul recognizes that the Colossians are under a heavy bombardment of false doctrine which separates the fake professors from the true believers. Those who are actually saved through the blood of Christ will continue. Now we're going to look at the first part of this verse. It says, if you continue in the faith. The word translated faith there may be interpreted three different ways. The first way is that it may refer to a body of truth which is, represents the gospel, which is to be believed. Certainly the true believer will continue in true doctrine. The second way is that it may refer to the faith which you and I exercise in the truth of the gospel, like in Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you were saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. This particular faith is a gift of God, which the believer exercises, and there is no salvation away from it, because it is God's way of identifying the sinner, the Savior. Now, the third way is that the word here of for faith also gives us the idea of faithfulness. In some situations, this meaning would put emphasis on the need for believers to continue in faithfulness, to live in abundance to the faith truth of the gospel. Now, looking at these three different explanations, there are really three pieces of the whole puzzle. Believers who have experienced true faith in Jesus Christ will continue in the truth of, gospel, 
of the gospel. And they will become faithful in their relation to the Lord and to men. Now, when it comes to the genuine Christian, he will be described as continuing to go on to the truth of the gospel. If there's a lack of evidence in any of these areas, the real question is, is the person really saved? First, believers who continue in the faith show that there are those having been grounded, who have been built on the true foundation, and who have genuinely rested on the unmovable footing of the blood of Christ, and is fully translated. Those who have been grounded and continue to be grounded. <clears throat> I'd like to think that the real thought here is that if they had been reconciled to God through Christ's death, that at a given point in time in the past, they would continue in this reconciled state and would be presented holy, they'd be presented blameless and irreproachable before God the Father. Again, I'll point out their persistence in the faith has nothing to do with gaining their salvation but also is only a more identification. I guess you could say that it separates the possessors from the would-be professors. The second different nation, believers who continue in the faith, reveal that they are settled in state. The word that is translated settled, Paul uses this particular word three times in the New Testament. It was a basic idea of being seated or firmly fixed and established. Paul was very concerned that the Colossians were not being moved away from by an outside source, namely the evil one, who was working through the false teachers. Continuously, little by little, Paul could see that the evil one was very slightly trying to control them. However, the evil one's devices would not succeed with true believers or the elect because they would continue in the faith. Now, our verse that we're looking at here, Colossians 1.23, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, what was the hope of the gospel that was written about in our verse and others. Let's look at several of our hopes. To be exact, there are seven hopes that I'm going to talk about here. Five of them will be in Colossians. Two of them will be in Philippians. The first one is in Colossians 1, verse 5. Colossians 1, verse 5, where it tells us, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. There's a hope laid up in heaven for all believers. This hope was a prominent part of the truth of the gospel that was highly proclaimed by the Apostle Paul. The second hope was in, that we came across here in Colossians is Colossians 1.12 reads, Giving thanks to the Father which hath made us meet to partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, this hope promises each believer 
a portion of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now the third hope, it is a hope of future glory, based on the fact that Christ is in believers. Colossians 1.27, it talks, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The fourth hope is when Christ is manifested. Then we will be manifested with him in glory. In Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then, as when we shall also appear with him in glory. The fifth hope is when the Lord is going to give to believers a reward, the inheritance, as in Colossians 3.24 Knowing of the Lord, you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ Jesus. The sixth hope is when, according to the book of Philippians, which speaks of the same hope, there was this constant expectation that Christ would come again out of heaven. So in Philippians 3.20, it says, For our conversation is in heaven, from which also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the seventh hope is where it tells us in Philippians 3.21, Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. The bodies of believers will be conformed to the body of Christ. Our bodies will be designed for existence while we are in glory. Our verse that we're looking at here, Colossians 1.23, tells us, If you continue faith, ground settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Looking at our verse, Colossians 1.23, and what it's telling us is that the gospel message of hope here in Colossians was a very significant part. Paul says that this message was preached which suggests that it had already been spoken of, declared in all creation at the time of Paul's writing. The phrase, which was preached to every creature, which is under heaven, was preached in the area of or in the midst of all creation. Paul was made a minister of the grace of God. The gospel for the present church age, which declares the believers will be holy, blameless, and irreproachable solely on the basis of Jesus Christ's worthy death. Tony, we're going to go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. And we'll probably spend the rest of the evening with that one. Colossians 1, 24. Who now rejoice in my sufferings, for you, Paul is referring to the Colossians, and fill up 
that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for the body's sake which is in the church, which is the church. Colossians 124 begins a new section for us in which Paul is discussing his ministry of the gospel. In this next section, Paul discusses his privileges, privilege and his task of making known the mystery of God among Gentiles. And what I'm referring to is the privilege of suffering for Christ. I want to ask you something, each one of you. Have you ever thought about your privilege of suffering for the Lord? Paul characterizes his ministry, first of all, as a work of joyful suffering for the sake of the Colossians. Paul is telling the Colossians that he personally rejoices in all the sufferings that were involved in teaching and preaching the gospel to them. Have you ever noticed that when we are experiencing the joy of serving others, that we hardly notice the pains and the strains that are often required? It tells us here that Paul rejoiced in his sufferings, his tribulations. I want to, uh, Tony, if you would turn to uh, Ephesians 3.13. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about two references about Paul's sufferings. Ephesians 3.13. Whereof I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you which is your glory. Paul made it crystal clear in his epistles that the reason he was in prison was due to his faithful declaration of the mystery, the special truth revealed to Paul for the church. Keep in mind that most of those to whom the Ephesian epistle was written were Gentile converts those who had the privilege of being members of the body of Christ on the basis of the truth of the mystery in Ephesians 3. Tony, the second reference, if you would go to, would be 2 Timothy 2.10. 2 Timothy 2.10. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I think it's fair to say that uh, Paul was motivated by, by two things. And I've read this other places. But he's re two things. He's, he's motivated by responsibility and the results of obedient suffering. Paul knew what it was exactly like to be tormented, troubled, mistreated, and to also to bear the death of Christ in his body. But the real fact was that Paul did endure. There was a reason for Paul's sufferings as a prisoner at Rome. 
Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 2.10, Tony just had that, he just got it up there. Therefore, or you could also say because of this or any account of that, and then Paul points to the cause of reasons why he, listen to me, willingly chose to endure all things. And Paul gives a couple of reasons for his actions. The first reason was for the elect's sakes. For the elect's sakes. Not only for those who had already responded to the truth, but for those in the future who would yet do so. Second reason for that suffering with Christ leads us to living with him and enduring leads to reigning, or E-I-G-N, reigning with him, which is a result of obedience suffering. Now, Tony, would you please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 8 through 11. This is where Paul is going to describe his experiences and share with us just how he felt. I want you to listen close to what is being said here. Verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not despair, in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Verse 11, For we which are always delivered into death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Now let's look at each one of these verses individually. In verse 8, told us that Paul was perplexed. In other words, Paul did not know which way to turn. But Paul was not in despair. This word, despair, is only used two times in the New Testament. And it literally means that Paul was not hopeless. Verse 9, told us that Paul was frequently being cast down, or knocked down. And hurt badly. But Paul may have been knocked down, but Paul was not knocked out. Paul was not being destroyed, killed, or caused to perish. The word for cast down in verse 9 describes the way Paul was being abused by others. This word is always used to describe a physical casting down. In verse 10, tells us that Paul was always bearing or carrying about his body, the dying of the Lord Jesus. What does Paul mean by the statement that he always, at all times, carried about in his body the dying of Jesus? Verse 11, what is really interesting is that many believers, and I'm referring to professed believers today, will allow themselves to be used by the evil one to attack and to persecute these teachers of Paul. I'm referring to the same gospel grace message and the mystery which Paul taught. 
The reason Paul suffered unto death and literally died daily was because of Paul's loyalty to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Particularly when it came to the mystery. The process of dying daily for Jesus Christ plays an important, very important role in putting to death the self-life because the life of Jesus Christ can demonstrate it and reveal it in our body. We need to keep in mind that God's elective purpose of calling out a people for his name was decided before the creation of the world in Ephesians 1, 4. Ephesians 1, 4 says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, two things, that we should be holy and we should be without blame before him in love. But you keep in mind, this means here, here, this means here are some points to always remember. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. God chose at a given point past time those who have faith in Jesus Christ. God, in his special way, selected us believers to fulfill a purpose involving the fulfillment of himself. God chose you and I in Christ that he might have fellowship with us. You and I should at least be willing to constantly thank and praise him as a result of his establishing fellowship with us. You and I have the unbelievable privilege. I want you to remember it that way. Unbelievable privilege of having fellowship with him. Just think about this. Just prior to the time that God laid the foundation, he chose you and I in Christ. That was something really special. The reason that God chose you and I in Christ before the foundation of the world was for you and I as believers to be holy and to be blameless before or in front of Him. Keep in mind that this took place and was determined even before the creation of the universe. God determined to do this on behalf of His elect. Let's take a second and consider the standing which God freely gives His elect in Christ. They are declared to be holy, and without holiness, it would be impossible, listen to me, to see God, to even stand in His presence according to uh, Tony, would you bring up, please, Hebrews 12, 14. Hebrews 12, 14. Get a drink of water. Thank you. Hebrews 12, 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall be able to see 
the Lord. Now the word see, S-E-E, is Strong's 3700. Without this particular dedication and blessing, the author of Hebrews says that the person who is not dedicated and not separated to the Lord by the Holy Spirit without of the Spirit and his such will will not see nor will they have a living relationship with the Lord. They are declared to be blameless or literally without blemish or without stain. The word before, Strong's 4253, in Ephesians 1.4, literally means in front of, in the presence of, in the sight of. And that information goes right along with what is written in Colossians 1.22. Just a reminder, Colossians 1.22 says, In the body of this, his flesh, through death to present you, holy unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. The fact that we are made holy and blameless is the only way that patience. Um, we're going to start here at Colossians 22. In the body of the place through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in the sight. The fact that we are made holy and blameless is the only way that God can have fellowship with us, men and women. God is the one to make us believers like He is. This is exactly what He does for those whom He has chosen before the foundation of the world in Christ. God did something else for us in Colossians. Uh, Colossians, if Tony, would you go to Colossians 1, 1 Colossians 1, 30. Colossians 1, 1 Colossians, oh, no, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians, <laughs> got me rattled. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Thank you, Tony. But of him, or out of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became us from God. Wisdom, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Now, some, you, you and I need to remember that God is the source, and he is the mastermind of those four things that are revealed here in 1 Corinthians 1.30. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. They are all found in Christ Jesus. God wants you and I as believers to know that Christ Jesus is the solution to all our problems. The real emphasis here is that in the, the fact that God is the one who put these four things, wisdom, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption in Christ Jesus. It is totally the gift of God. Christ is everything, and Christ is all that we need. Whatever it is that you need today, you will find it in Christ Jesus. God wants all men and women to give him total credit for the love and mercy which has initiated and effected salvation. It really should be the desire 
of every believer to come to a perfect knowledge of the mystery of God in Christ, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. So 2 Timothy 2.10 says, I endure all things for the elect's sake. Who are the elect? The word elect literally means to speak out, to pick out, to choose or to select. The, the noun form of this word refers to persons who have been spoken out once, chosen or selected once, picked out, chosen or selected, or the, the elect ones. Paul uses this, this word a total of six times in his epistles. We must keep in mind that God's elective purpose of calling out a people for his name enacted by his counsel before the creation of the world in Ephesians 1.4. Let's look in Colossians 2 see what is let's look in Colossians to see what is said about the elect and what they are to do. Tony, uh, Colossians chapter 3 verse 12 through 14. That's Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Verse 12 says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercy, kindness and humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any have a quarrel against any, since as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Verse 14, and above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfection, perfectness. There are three points that I want to make in this reading about the elect. The first point is that the word select, translated elect, refers to persons who have been spoken out, picked out, chosen or selected from the standpoint of both the history and the usage of the word. Elect clearly means elect ones. The second point I want to point out here is that in three Colossians 3.12, Paul calls the Colossians holy ones. Paul speaks of those who have been separated from being dominated by the evil one and those who are associated with him into a position with Christ in heavenlies. And their lives are to be centered in him. That's a capital H-I-M. The third point in Colossians 3.12, Paul calls the Colossians beloved ones. He indicates that they were the recipients of the love of God. And it indicates that at a given point in time in the past, God reached, excuse me, that they were recipients of the love of God. It indicates that at a given point in time in the past, God reached out to make them his beloved ones. And he continues to keep them as his beloved ones. These particular graces must be put on by the believer continually, and which such love is constantly put on. Misunderstanding and splits seem to be disappear. Paul, and this is for a fact, Paul endured all things in this process of preaching the gospel to all men. His purpose was that the Holy Spirit would use it to call the elect to acquire salvation provided in Jesus Christ. In our verse, 2 Timothy 2.10, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they were 
may also obtain the salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. In the English language, there are three articles. There are the letter A, an, an, and the word the, T-H-E. Articles are used before nouns or noun equivalents, and they, they are a type of a j- adjective. An adjective describes and distinguishes a particular quality of a word. The use of the article the here in Second Timothy in front of the word the salvation emphasizes the fact that Paul is talking about a particular salvation. Charles Welch wrote that it is important to note that Paul is speaking about a specific salvation in Christ Jesus. The use of the article the with the word salvation emphasizes the fact that Paul is talking about a particular salvation, as in Christ Jesus' salvation. It is a salvation that has eternal glory as its ultimate object. As Paul hits these various phases of God's sovereign elective purpose, the final one is that the elect are glorified. We look forward to eternally being with the Lord in bodies which conform to his glorious body, as he tells us in Philippians 3.21. Philippians 3.21 reads, For who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all the things unto himself. While every believer is confident of salvation, but not every believer is assured of that salvation with an eternal glory. A good illustration would be to remember what happened at Pentecost. The thousands that were saved were already believers. That is, they believed in Moses and the prophets. But on that day they were saved to life in the kingdom. The twelve disciples and others with them did not preach the kingdom to unbelievers. Even the Gentiles that Paul evangelized were believers and attended the synagogues. So then there were two classes of believers during the Acts period of time. And then when you come to uh, Tony, Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, not any man should boast. In verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath foreordained that we should walk in them. These are believers who saved or enter into the congregation, which is the body of Christ, partaking of the mystery. So in the present times, there are two classes of believers. Those, listen carefully to what I say here, those who have life by believing that Christ is the Son of God, and then those in another group who believe that this same Christ is the head of the body of people. It would also help you to keep in mind, translators did not know the truth of it all, and so they were careless with the words 
I'm not criticizing the translators. Don't get me wrong, because they did the best they knew. It is a salvation which is eternal glory as its ultimate object. We are looking forward to eternally being with the Lord in bodies which duplicate or are like Christ's glorious body. That is referred to in, uh, Tony, would you turn to Philippians 3, verse 20, 21. Philippians 3, 20, 21. Verse 20 says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned unto his glorious body, according to the working, whereby he is able to even subdue all things unto himself. In Philippians 3.21, opens up with the word, Who? which I just read to you, which in this case is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who will change the body of our lowly state. The Apostle Paul declares that the Lord Jesus Christ will change our lowly, poor, hopeless bodies into the form and appearance of his glorious body. The language used here suggests to us that our lowly, bodies will be transformed and take on the same appearance as Christ's glorious body. This change of our body will take place according to Philippians 3.21 with the working, which means that God will affect this change and transformation according to his active energy and his power to change our lowly bodies into glorious bodies that are designed so that we can occupy heaven. How do we know that God has the ability and power to accomplish this transformation or change? Paul's answer to is that Christ not only has the power to do this change, but Christ is able to even subject all things to himself, as the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. 27 to 28. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 27 to 28. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when the earth, when he saith all things, I must do that verse over. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is expected, which did put all things under him. Verse 28, And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Lord also subdue, shall also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. It's a small thing for God to give believers a new spiritual body fitted for heaven. When we consider that it was, that he has absolute power in the universe, to be subject to everything under his authority. His power on behalf of us believers is far beyond our ability to even ask or to think. The prize of our high calling is the glorification together with Christ, our Redeemer and Lord. So, Philippians 3.20 that we read and 21 are limited to two facts, F-A-C-T-S. The first fact is that 
Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. And number second fact is that he will change our bodies to conform to his glorious body. These are the facts, not some kind of elusive dream. I will give you some food for thought here. The only test that is available to individuals by which the elect can be determined is by those believers who give obedience to the word of God for the body of Christ, which is the head. Paul considered his various sufferings as part of a necessary and welcome process of filing up the quota of the affections of Christ that had been appointed to Paul. In our verse, Colossians 1.24, it does not indicate that Paul felt that he had to or that Paul needed to endure as many sufferings as Christ himself endured. Acts 9, 15-16 Jesus said of Saul in Acts 9 and 15, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. Are they hearing you? Ask if he can hear you. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, uh, Acts 9, 15-16. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Verse 16, For I will show him how great things he, Paul, must suffer for my name's sake. The Lord even said, I will show Paul how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So the expression, the affliction of Christ, means the afflictions that are appointed to Paul by Christ. Paul describes his own sufferings as the sufferings of Christ. When Paul suffered, Christ suffered. When we suffer, Christ also is affected. Now the words back in Colossians 1.24 that we looked at, the words fill up, F-I-L-L-U-P, Paul speaks here of suffering as if it were measured out in cupfuls. Christ, by his life, filled up his cup of suffering. He endured all that was required of him so that we might be saved. Now, you and I, in turn, fill up our cup of service and sufferings for the sake of Christ and his church to repay in a small degree what Christ did for us. In Colossians 1.24, he suffered grief. The original Greek says, I rejoice in the sufferings of Paul. Epaphras and the others who were ministering to the Colossians, having referred to all the sufferings that had been involved in teaching them in the gospel. Paul now deals with his own attitude towards suffering and how he interprets it in relation to the body of Christ, the church. As someone who had been a minister of the gospel, Paul was destined to suffer, and Paul looked at this suffering as having positive 
value in completing, completing, in completing the body of Christ. Paul later declared that the church and he both suffered all the time that he preached the grace, the grace gospel message. So Paul could honestly say that where Christ left off in suffering for the kingdom, that is where Paul began to suffer for the church as Paul struggles to meet the needs of making known the mystery truth regarding the body of Christ to church. Thank you for hanging in there with me. That is all for this evening. I really want to thank you for listening. And Tony, I want to thank you for your patience and helping getting this out. The next time we will start with Colossians chapter 1 verse 25. Have a good evening and I will close within the name of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. Amen.